0: Welcome back to Thriving in Business and Life. This is Will Wilkinson.
1: And this is Christopher Harding. So, Will, last week we talked about uh, what we call the L word.
0: Right, loving what you're doing.
1: Loving what you're doing, and also really being able to show the people that you work with, especially if you're the one who's in a leadership role, that you really do care for them, that you respect them, that you... Love them in in you know an appropriate way because what we talked about is that that type of culture uh, really facilitates people's brains and bodies being at their best, being able to be the most engaged and to contribute at their best.
0: You know, as you're saying this, I'm just remembering a summer I spent working with my dad. He worked for the post office up in Canada, and the conversation we're having. Right now, mm-hmm. it would have been like a foreign language back then. Oh, I, I, I think it still can be. I mean, the culture there, and my dad was part of this, was you go to work, do a decent job, collect your paycheck, you go home, and that's when the fun starts. They didn't expect their workplace to have much of a culture. It was where he went to do something earn a living and go home and have fun with your family.
1: Right, and so, you know, I mean, the, was the, we're gonna be talking today about the power of, of responsibility, and one way we can make a segue here is that, you know, I'm responsible for deciding whether I'm going to enjoy my interactions at work, whether I'm going to foster relationships, whether I'm gonna create an experience that I, uh, you know, Enjoy or not. Now, given that there's obviously uh, a lot of workplace situations where it's hard work and it's not easy, and there's a lot of difficulty going on. So, this will be an interesting, uh, you know, kind of segue, if you will. Uh, how well, do, how well, do we I do had, that?
0: Yeah, I think the the key word for me is uh, being proactive. It's a principle we talk about all the time. The difference of Being reactive versus proactive and there's lots to react to we all have situations with difficulties sewn into them have to handle them the best we can but in a session I had yesterday doing some coaching with a a young millennial her eyes just lit up when we started talking about this and she realized that regardless of the challenges because I wasn't saying that the challenges aren't there or aren't important or we don't need to deal with them. But regardless of what they are, we can be proactive about it. We don't have to wait for someone else to do something or something to change.
1: Well, we, we, there, in many cases, there are things that happen that are beyond our control. True. And so what we look at when we're talking about responsibility is what can I do after that moment passes? Yeah. Uh, what can I do to reclaim as much uh, power, if you will, as as you know I, I can in that moment? And one of the distinctions we make that uh, really I think when I'm doing this work in workshop settings is kind of an aha for people is when we uncouple the words responsibility and blame.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, because for some people, they seem to go together.
1: Yeah, I mean, responsibility and blame are almost synonymous uh-huh. for people. Um, and All right,
0: who's responsible here?
1: Yeah. Which really means who's to blame. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We'll and get I,
0: to the bottom of who's responsible.
1: Well, and accountability and responsibility uh-huh. seem to mean exactly yeah. the same thing. Um, so in looking at it, I, I was just doing a, a workshop uh, two weeks ago. On this topic, and we got into talking about this, and the idea would be: well, if if you uncouple blame from responsibility, then what is responsibility?
0: Mm-hmm. Good question.
1: Now, you know, what did you of, tell them? Well, you know, I mean, somebody raised their hand, and there's been the the familiar saying that responsibility is the ability to respond. Yeah. responsibility. That's a way to look at it. Right. Right. Um. We tend to pose it a little bit differently and say responsibility is a mindset. Mm-hmm. Right, right. We're, we're drawing on the work of Dr. Bill Gillery. Responsibility is a mindset, and if I see myself as responsible for how I show up, the choices I make, and the results I help create, then what I'm going to do about it in the behavior box, if we're looking at mindset, behavior, results. What I'm going to do about it is far more if I see myself as responsible going in.
0: Right. And then
1: accountability is my willingness to own it after the fact, succeed, or fail.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier. Responsibility, accountability, before and after. Right. We're responsible going in. We're accountable coming out.
1: Yeah, and, and and accountability in a way is the litmus test for mm-hmm. how responsibility yeah. re, how responsible I really saw myself going in.
0: Yeah, the the truly powerful thing about this mindset of responsibility is that it seems to be infectious. I I just had a situation actually this morning, uh, a business uh, negotiation where I had taken an attitude of responsibility. I, I mean, it's part of our culture uh, in our all our thriving work, and I was. Um, dealing with some individuals who hadn't been quite as clear about that as i had been they they just hadn't stepped up the same way so i was able to kind of follow through on my attitude and what happened was it solved a couple of issues but it also helped push somebody out the door who wasn't resonating with what was going on and she self-selected herself on the basis of Really, frankly, not wanting to take responsibility. Right. Well. So, so my point there is, <laughs> to put it in simple English, is birds of a feather flock together. Responsibility breeds the, the interest in others taking more responsibility as well.
1: Well, for teams, let's say, or for a department in a work setting, um, what we've found, as you know, is that We all have a tendency to evade responsibility when it becomes uncomfortable, (laughs) right? (laughs) When things go wrong, you know, like we're all more than happy to to become very responsible when things go well and when things go poorly uh, you know we're heading to right. the to the other end yeah. of, of no I wasn't responsible who? for that who me <laughs> so so in, in a lot of the work we do that whole notion of peer accountability where we help each other hold ourselves responsible mm-hmm. we help ourselves establish a mindset going in um, the beauty of taking accountability, you know, after the fact, like you said, uh, for something that didn't work well is right. I get to ask the questions of, well, what would could we do to have prevented that? What right. might we do next time? So right. there's learning possibility, whereas if I'm in blame mode, uh, nobody learns anything, and we're far more likely to repeat the same cycle.
0: Well, I'm happy to report that in my own case, Having adopted this uh, this attitude, some great things have, have changed. I, I have to say that back along the way, being a, uh, a card-carrying perfectionist, as I am, <laughs> uh, I was a little tough to deal with at times when things went wrong, because I would tend to get defensive and uh, not accept accountability for the results as much as I could have, and uh, I don't want to get evangelical here, but having seen the light <laughs> and learning how to get more uh, accountable, I'm finding it feels better to me because I'm being more honest with myself, but others respect that honesty. I think I had feared that if I admitted I'd made mistakes and really owned them, it would erode my reputation. Actually, the very opposite has been happening.
1: Yeah, a matter of fact, I, I think I know in instances where I've been um, unwilling or uh, uncomfortable and unwilling <laughs> to own my part in something that went wrong or that went poorly, um, that unwillingness does erode respect. Yeah. It does erode trust yeah. and rapport. And so, you know, there are times when just by somebody challenging me and holding my feet to the fire in uncomfortable situations, when I finally own it, mm-hmm. without Rationalization and excuses. Just flat out own it. Um, you know, I have a chance to to grow, to learn, and to hopefully build rapport where I've maybe let it erode through a lack of of ownership. And so, one of the things we we talk about in in our book uh, and in the online course is that we're equating responsibility as as a Uh, process, you could say, to access more personal power Mm -hmm. or more group power. The more responsible we see ourselves as, the more we're going to tap into our full capability and the capability of those around us Mm -hmm. to ensure that things turn out the way we intend.
0: Well, that takes us to a third term, empowerment. And we speak about all three of these in, in our work. Responsibility, the mindset, accountability, owning the results. And in between is empowerment, which you were just actually introducing, that with this mindset of responsibility, that tends to produce an environment that is empowering.
1: Right. Well, Yeah, because, I mean, it's the the notion being that empowerment and the way we're talking about it isn't something that's be, bestowed upon right. us. It's It's our willingness to tap into our own capacity.
0: Well, I know when we were putting the course together, we encountered this Great quote by Dr. Milton Erickson, father of psychotherapy, I believe. Yeah, hypnotherapy. It, hypnotherapy, pardon me. Right. And uh, who said something to the, uh, the point, most people are walking around in a trance of disempowerment all the time. Right. Something like that.
1: Yeah, it's kind of startling, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is. And let's talk a little bit about that. Well, so again, if, if I think a trance of, disem- of disempowerment can comfortably exist when i don 't have a mindset of responsibility, mm-hmm. so in other words if and this is where blame becomes such a, a, a really a detractor to responsibility if i 'm blaming others for my life or for a project that went wrong or for a customer relationship that went you know sideways or whatever it might be um, you know i am acting as if i had nothing to do with it right. i'm acting as if i wasn't a contributing part of the outcome and so as a result i basically convinced myself hypnotized myself to use his terminology into believing that i'm not it's not my fault mm-hmm. I, I wasn't to blame mm-hmm. and You know, you just look at the climate we're in, um, in our world situation, in our politics, regardless of which party you happen to be, Uh you know, uh, uh, have allegiance for all of, you know, our political system right now is acting as if. We're all victims.
0: Well, and the blame game is kind of the modus operandi. That's right. Everybody's yeah. pointing the finger at somebody else.
1: Yeah, nobody nobody seems willing to take real ownership and step up and say, how do we create a solution to get Well,
0: there? I think part of the reason for that, at least politically, is the uh, the backlash on media would be so severe. See, he's even admitted, he's admitting that he goofed up what more mistakes will he make
1: <laughs> right you know? well it's it's we've you know what happens when we get into a trance of disempowerment quite frankly i think is we become less intelligent mm-hmm. uh, because we stop accessing our full ability to think through things and really become solution focused yeah. we let ourselves get mired down in the problem and you know uh, basically get stuck there
0: You know, I was reading the other day about Bernie Madoff, America's number one scam artist. America's (laughs) good for producing number ones. And he built uh, his investors, his clients, out of $12 billion or something over a 40-year period. And the article was talking about how he was able to sustain the delusion. And you have to say that a lot of that was self-hypnosis, where people just didn't want to know. They didn't want to do the research and dig in and find out why these exorbitant rates of return were happening and how could it last. Well,
1: I'll give you, give you an example of a trance disem, of disempowerment. Uh, I have a longtime friend, probably the friend I've had longer than anybody else in, in my life. And he, uh, when he was in his, he must have been in his late 20s, uh, his mother met this man I was about to call him a gentleman, but that would have been overly generous. <laughs> I
0: think I see where this is <laughs> heading.
1: <laughs> he, she met this man who uh, basically convinced her that he was the heir to a very wealthy hotel chain and that he was about to inherit mm-hmm. literally hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of dollars. Mm-hmm. And that if, if she would just... Um, you know, help him out. He was, you know, in between uh, kind of cash flow, uh, right. you know, disbursements. Then things would go well. Tem- temporary cash flow problem. <laughs> temporary cash flow problem. Yes, <laughs> and he was he he was very um, convincing. He dressed the part. He he spoke the part, and he also knew how to play to her own, um, you know, tendencies towards. She loved to. You know, go on expensive trips, and so right. he took her on all these expensive trips. Which, oh by the way, she financed with uh, you know by loaning him this money because right? he was
0: just a little short.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was just a little <laughs> short on cash. You know, he started to also uh, tap into the relatives. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the total ended up being probably close to three four hundred thousand dollars that he really? he tapped from the entire family. Well, my friend very early on realized that this guy was a scam artist. Mm-hmm. And so he said to his mother and his brother, Hey, this doesn't feel right. I think we really need to be careful here. And they were like, How could you possibly get in the way of this wonderful thing happening? And he went, No, I mean you know, he started trying to help put two and two together. He he went to the extent of actually hiring a private eye with out of his own expense mm-hmm. who followed this guy and proved how this guy was doing this with multiple other women yeah. and their families, yeah. and presented them with the evidence. Yeah. Their response? They disowned him.
0: Yeah. I, I knew something like that was coming, because I've learned that the reaction to being confronted with facts that dispute some emotionally-fueled belief you have is to double down on your beliefs. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Well, here's the beautiful thing. This has been proven. I mean, This is the way
0: we do it. And I think I've mentioned to you this book I've been reading, The uh, Willful Blindness.
1: Yes. One
0: example after another of this very phenomena.
1: Well, you know, the beautiful thing for him, I mean, it was really tough, obviously, to have your family disown you after you're trying to uh, show them this. And and even when the mother um, eventually ended up dying, the brother died. Uh, of of an illness um, you know, the rest of the family was still holding on to the belief that somehow this money was going to come through until the guy himself, the scam artist finally died and was buried in the equivalent of a pauper's grave because he had no money and it was interesting he, he'd spent all of their money oh, yeah, exactly <laughs>
0: right. uh,
1: He, uh, my, my friend could have easily taken on the victim stance uh-huh. you know, that you know, he was a victim of this situation. And he said, I knew the risk that I was taking. Uh-huh. And when I showed them, I realized I made the choice that I would rather have them upset at me uh-huh. and warn them than to have had all this happen and been a bystander.
0: Yeah. Well, he was being responsible. I mean, that's a good example of that. And apparently, the way we're wired, it's more and more difficult to take a stand as there are more people involved. Well, if, one yeah. of us, if one of us encounters injustice of some kind of problem, we're much more likely to take a stand and try and help out than if there's a crowd of three or four of us. It's very interesting.
1: Well, and, and here's what they say the power of, of, a, of a movement really is. It, it's important, obviously, whoever is the first voice. But what starts a movement is the second person. Number two, yeah. Yeah. Because it creates a momentum, creates a flow. Well,
0: just to connect this back to our our, uh, persistent leadership theme, I saw a YouTube video explaining this phenomena of how a movement begins. And one man danced in the park. You may have seen this. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then somebody joined him. And then someone else. And pretty soon, everybody in the park was dancing. What the commentator pointed out was that the original guy continued to pay attention to number two. He didn't get distracted by the crowd that was forming, and the leadership principle was when you get your go-to guy, continue to work that relationship. Right, right. I thought that was very profound. Well,
1: so, you know, you, you take this back to to our own situations in, in life. I think this is why the peer accountability is so important, mm-hmm. because... Um, you know, having support, built-in support for encouraging us to see ourselves as responsible. You know, we we always try to take this down to basic things. Let's say I'm going to make a sales call with a really uh, tough customer. Well, if if you and I are coaching each other, and you say to me, "Okay, Chris, so you're about to go into that customer. If you see yourself as responsible for building that relationship," How are you going to show up? What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. So we immediately connect that to the empowerment piece. Mm -hmm. And after it was over, it was, well, how did it go? Did you do what you said you were going to do? How did it turn out? Are there adjustments that need to be made? I mean, our ability to use, we were talking last week about inclusion. Mm -hmm. Inclusion in that simple sense uh, allows me to not only have somebody to help me hold myself accountable, but to think through how I could improve if things didn't go well or how I could optimize what I did if things did go well.
0: Well, I've talked to some super sales people, both men and women, and I've always been a little in awe of these creatures who just can, you know, create these amazing sales numbers and consistently what I learn is that they're all about building relationships. And being honest and transparent. My wife is one of them. Anything she's ever done, she's always been the top salesperson. And others involved will ask her, Well, what's your secret? Well, she's very innocent about it. She's not trying to actually sell anybody anything. She's just very interested in them, good listener, trying to offer them some good education and letting them make up their own minds.
1: Well, it's quite a a, formula. It is. I mean, In, in a way,
0: just to. I kind of had a realization as I said that in a way what she's doing and I think others are doing is creating an environment that invites the other person to be just as responsible rather than trying to take over responsibility to get them to do something like buy a product.
1: Right. Yeah. Yes. Trying to basically. Well, and, and so, you know, if if you look at responsibility, since you brought that up. If I start taking responsibility for somebody else's actions and their choices now I'm not talking about a young you know parent child relationship, okay. but in you know if I take responsibility for somebody else's choices and and take too much responsibility, I'm actually falling into a trance of disempowerment yeah. in yeah. a whole other way uh, as you were talking about your wife and her success, when I was trained at one point uh, in one of the companies I was in, uh, the very first job I had to have was customer service and the complaint desk. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect way to start. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All the things that could go wrong. (laughs) And what they told me was the key to success was to just own it. (sighs) So when the person called up and said, I can't believe that you're, you know, in this case, it happened to be a delivery service that you're you know, delivery didn't come on time. It was this, that, and the other it was just to listen and, and say, yeah. so the delivery didn't come on time and this really messed you up. I'm so sorry for that. What can we do to, to straighten it out? Yeah. So take ownership. Take accountability. Even though I had nothing to do with it, I was the voice of the company. And that that was really a powerful lesson that because I took ownership and didn't try to deflect it, mm-hmm. They were then open to having a solution created, and I had to make sure that whatever I was going to say to them I could follow through on so I didn't erode the trust further. But what ended up happening as a result of those interactions, those relationships, really, that we were forming in in the midst of a crisis for them, if if they went well, they became our most loyal customers.
0: Yeah, because you'd been through something together kind of uh, proven in the fire.
1: Yeah, they could they could count on us to not try to weasel out of something that we had done that didn't go right.
0: I know we've both heard and experienced some amazing customer service stories. I just can't resist recalling a commentary I saw from computer tech guys right. talking about their most ridiculous customer service calls and one where someone called up to complain. They'd just received their computer, you know, a box, and they said that they'd only used it twice, and the coffee tray was already broken. <laughs> and he said, uh, coffee tray, what coffee tray? He said, well, you know where you set your coffee, and it was the CD drive. <laughs> they were setting their coffee mug there. <laughs> now, the, the uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: how you how you deal with responsibility in that situation <laughs> might be something like, <laughs> oh my goodness, sir, or ma'am, as the case may be it appears that we haven't written our instructions clearly
0: uh-huh yeah this is not a copy holder. <laughs> right right well let's talk about the um, power scale. this is a tool we use to help get to clarity around these things we've got it in our course Just explain a little bit about how that works
1: Well so the power scale is is simply a continuum you could say that allows me to double check myself to see what be what behaviors I'm exhibiting, and are those behaviors uh, making me more powerful by taking more ownership, or am I moving towards the victim end of the scale and becoming disempowered? So it's, it's things as simple as on the disempowered or victim end of the scale, I blame others, mm-hmm. I make excuses, mm-hmm. I you know uh, basically am looking to find what's wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm problem-centric, not solution-centric. Right. On the other side of the scale, I take ownership. Right? I'm I'm looking for solutions. I, you know, am am listening to people and willing to really uh, learn from what went wrong. Uh, well,
0: I know when you introduced this to me, uh, you did a terrific job. Uh, your timing was perfect because as you sketched it out, the scale running from zero to a hundred percent responsibility. And then we applied the power scale to a, a troublesome scenario where there were, I think, four or five people involved, and something went south. And then the question is, who's responsible?
1: Right, right. And of
0: course, as you very deftly portrayed, the tendency is to divide up responsibility. Right. You know, she's 40% responsible, I'll accept 30%, he's 20 to come up with an aggregate of 100%. But the punchline... And what really helps the power scale create clarity, every one of us involved accepts 100% responsibility.
1: Right, for our unique role and how it impacts the team and how it impacts the outcome.
0: A follow up on this uh, that I recall is that sometimes we assume if we take 100% responsibility, it means that others don't need to. And this is the exact opposite.
1: Well, yeah, or maybe worse. If we, if the belief is that if we accept one hundred percent responsibility, everybody else will go. Oh, okay. Well, he's, <laughs> he or she has accepted it. It's his <laughs> fault. Yeah. <laughs> So, again, if, we're, if we uncouple blame from responsibility, right. what we're doing is saying, by accepting 100% responsibility for how I showed up and how it impacted it, I'm really empowering myself to understand the correlation between what I did or didn't do mm-hmm. and what happened.
0: Uh, I think something else that helps in this uh, situation is another concept we talk about, which is standing upstream, because often blame is about the, the symptoms, the cause that's connected to those symptoms isn't being considered. We're just all pointing fingers about what happened rather than together going upstream, as we like to say, to find out what caused these things.
1: Right. Or if I'm doing it proactively, you were talking about that in the beginning, then I go upstream proactively and say, okay, I'm looking downstream. What's the likely future consequence Mm -hmm. of my choice? If I choose this, where is it going to lead? And that simple cognitive connection there of what's the likely future consequence of me choosing this it's just something that I didn't learn in school, most people don't. It's-
0: and if any of us have seen the Darwin Awards online, <laughs> yeah, we a- see individuals who have not thought things through. <laughs> yeah,
1: those are so <laughs> sadly funny. Oh, uh, yeah. You don't like to laugh,
0: but it's hard not to. But it's a perfect example, grim as those examples are, of not thinking through the possible consequences. And this is a problem for visionaries because visionaries we know the experience this is great any contrary comments seem to be like raining on our parade actually they can be helpful in considering possibilities
1: right yeah and i think i think one of the things is we talk about uh, you know responsibility this way we call it quantum responsibility yeah. because there's not just one scale there's as many scales as there are people involved and so the invitation really is just to help Each other remember that seeing ourselves as responsible
0: up front and taking ownership after the fact helps us be more powerful. Well, great show today, Chris. I'm looking forward to next week. We're going to pose and answer, I hope, four questions about how to get out of the trance of disempowerment.
1: (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, if you have ideas or stories about this topic, you can write us at thrivinginbusinessandlife at gmail.com. I'm Christopher Harding.
0: And I'm Will Wilkinson. Thanks for being with us. Talk to you again next week.